Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Today's episode highlights M. Night Shyamalan's classic Signs, which is currently streaming on HBO Max. Signs follows a rural farm family whose life is uprooted when they discover bizarre crop circles in their cornfields and attempt to decipher what these strange signs mean. And to discuss this seminal early 2000s classic is returning friend of the show, Birdo. What's going on, man? Hey, what's happening? I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about this movie with you. This is one that I haven't watched in probably 10 plus years. Mm, yeah. Um, but, it is, it, but it's one of those movies that whenever I think about M. Night Shyamalan, for me at least, it's probably the first one that comes to mind because... I think this is the first one of his movies that I ever saw in the theaters. Yeah. But how long has it been since you watched it? Uh, for me, it's been uh, at least a couple of years. I don't remember when the last time was. Uh, probably like maybe two or three years ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's definitely, that was the last time I seen. I mean, other than um, one of his recent, like Glass I saw recently. And, but like from this movie, I think this is the last time I saw it was like definitely three, three, four years ago. Yeah, this is one of those movies that I think is really indicative of his talent as a filmmaker mm. and when i mean it's easy to kind of rag on him for his faults and people yeah don't shy away from doing that and they target the the one or two films of his that didn't quite work out but then my response to those people would always be like hey why don't you look at this handful of movies like he had a run from what was it six Sense to unbreakable to signs to the village that i think they're all very unique takes on established genres and this movie, I was surprised how well I think this movie holds up. But uh, what did you think of Signs overall on a rewatch? Yeah, I I forgot how good it was or how good it is in general. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's just no slow time here. Like, it's literally off the bat you learn there's Alien. The kids find the crop circle and there's Alien. It's kind of like this story starts building up very quickly and it gets to the point. And um, I, overall, I really liked it. I, I'm glad we, we were reviewing it because it's, it's one of those movies like, I don't know. I'm into the whole alien conspiracy thing. So it's kind of cool to like see it. And like, even in 2001, there were kind of like already, I guess this knowledge of aliens and what would happen if they come to earth kind of thing was already mm-hmm. around. So it's, it's very interesting to see his take on alien movie. Yeah. This is definitely one of those movies that it really utilizes the pacing in a way that I feel for a movie that's, I, bl- I think this is like a hundred minutes, 105 yeah. minutes or so, but it really does utilize its pacing really well in a way that if my memory serves me correctly. Not a lot of early 2000 movies did as well. Like there is no real slow time or downtime in this. And it does get right into things without kind of revealing everything at once. Whereas, I mean, we have the crop circles obviously, but then in the next five minutes or so, it's not like there's an alien invasion. He kind of, the way that he paces the movie is really great in that he grabs your attention, but then he never really lets the, focus shift from the family like first and foremost the focus is the family and he does a lot of legwork in establishing them as the focus of the film and i think it's stronger for that but it's really easy for me to think about signs in terms of like oh it's a sci-fi movie it's a horror movie it's a drama it's a movie about a man finding his faith again his family but then i realized that i've just described this movie by four different genres yeah what what to you, what do you classify this movie as in terms of genre? Like what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? I would, I mean, sci- uh, sci-fi I would say, but like, it's not really mm-hmm. like spacey. So it's, it's not like, it's also not horror. I don't know. I just, 
That's a good, that's a really good question. Maybe I should have thought of that before. I should have given some time to think about it, but like, I don't know. I would say probably sci-fi maybe. I mean, mm. I know it's nothing, it's nothing out of this world. Like they're still on earth, but I don't know. I think the fact that there is aliens coming from, from whatever space, it's like, for me, I think it's, I would consider it sci-fi. Yeah. And I think that that speaks to just how unique this movie is and how it's something, it's a quality that it has that again, I think is a standout for that time period when the movie was released in that it's such a smart hybrid of all those different things. Like I think you, you can classify it as all those things that I mentioned where it's a sci-fi movie. It's part horror. It's part thriller. It's part drama. It's part uh, introspection into this character kind of like refining his faith and all these different things. And I can't think of many sci-fi movies to put a blanket uh, description on this movie. I can't think of a lot of movies similar to this that, blend all those things together like it kind of reminds me of quality that steven spielberg movies have Mm -hmm. like the classic ones where like if you think about jaws or et so that's a horror movie that's a sci-fi movie but then it draws in a lot of those different genre qualities where it's a drama to family drama it's uh jaws to some extent is like a political drama where they're dealing with like the town folk and people not listening to reason and all these things that you almost forget what genre the movie is for a moment right. in that it kind of just swaps them out uh, in a way that, again, the pacing is so phenomenal because he really does know how to plot out the beats to the story to match those different genre things. Like I would even go so far as to say this is part comedy. Yeah. And that kind of leads me into my next question for you is, do you remember this movie being as funny as it is? Because uh-huh. I thought this movie was absolutely hilarious and I did not remember it being that way all those years ago when I saw it. Yeah. It it definitely has like great sense of humor with like Bo and her little like complaint about the water tasting difference. It's like those little moments. Like that's like little kids notice that like things like that, like the water taste difference. Like, well, Mm -hmm. for people who drink water, they know all water doesn't taste the same. It's like little things like that. Or even like when they're getting interviewed, when, uh, when they call the cops, there was like, there's like, oh, there's this new like athlete, like these like Olympic athletes that are running, like can jump highs the house or something like that. And it's like little like moments of humor like that that I I don't remember it being that funny, but it actually I caught myself like giggling at times, even when the when they pull up to the house with the walkie-talkie and they're like, you figure like they realize like oh there's like some kind of like they're picking up a signal and they all mm-hmm. get on top of the car trying to like follow the signal. I thought that was pretty funny. It's like, but like throughout the like from what I remember, I remember just being scary, not having this sense of humor that actually really helps balance the seriousness between the family, the story of the family, the aliens, and like things that are going on happening at the same time. Yeah. And M. Night Shyamalan has kind of this like goofy sensibility to things and approach. And it definitely comes across in all the, not only just like what the characters are saying and doing, but their, but specific characters' performances. Like at the very beginning of the movie, when the movie begins with the kids screaming out in the cornfield yeah. and Mel Gibson and uh, Joaquin Phoenix's characters have to run out to go find them. Mel Gibson like turns the little boys ch- uh, face to face him to speak to him and just like turning his chin. And then in the next second, he's like, what are you looking at? And then the boy takes Mel Gibson's chin and turns it in the direction to show him yeah. the prop circle. Like just little goofy moments like that, I think are really funny. And it kind of just, again, it, it makes you forget almost what genre of movie you're watching. Yeah. Which, and I mean, no, no example of that is stronger than when they think that the brothers, the like bumpkin town brothers that oh, cause yeah. mischief are like running around on the roofs 
of their house and messing with them. And so they make up a plan to like run outside and start screaming and shouting to draw them out. And Mel Gibson obviously is a former reverend, so he doesn't want to swear or anything. And so he's like running around the side of the building and he's like, I'm insane with anger and all <laughs> yeah. these different things where it's goofy to hear him say that. But in that next moment, when you hear one of the guy, one of the aliens on the roof and Joaquin Phoenix is like, I don't think that's the brothers like that humor and that uh, silliness yeah. kind of it, ma- it makes you not prepared for the scare or the creepy moment that's coming. Right. If anything, I think it serves a purpose. It doesn't feel for the majority of the film, it doesn't feel just random. Right. Or it doesn't feel like it's taking something away. I think it is in service of something larger. Yeah, like I mean, you're like you're saying, like you're expecting this funny moment. All of a sudden, it's like something serious happens, and it's like even the music kind of cuts to that, cuts right through that comic moment, like that comedian moment that they had, and and it's like it literally jumps to like, oh shit, it's not, it's not. There's no human here. Like that's something that's unnatural, and it and it, it really helps. I think it also helps with the pace of the movie too. It's like there's a lot of serious moments when they talk about the family, but then it goes right back into little things that Bo would say and how she would react to certain things. And it's like, it's really funny, but then it gets back to the scare of there's aliens and they're trying to figure out what are they and where, why are they here? Um, and I think that's really, it really helps. I think the, having those three different genres, I guess would be like the comedy and the, the seriousness and this, the horror to really balance out the whole movie. Yeah. And then, I mean, a great example of that is when, they start talking about miracles mm. and they're watching the news footage oh, yeah, yeah. of all the UFOs. And Mel Gibson goes into this really long monologue that is all about miracles. And he's having this very like introspective moment because he's lost his faith essentially after his wife is uh, killed in a freak accident. And he goes on and on and on. He's having this very deep conversation with Joaquin Phoenix. And then Joaquin Phoenix is like, as soon as it gets so intense and then Joaquin Phoenix gives his own example and it's like, <laughs> yeah, this one time I was chewing gum and I was going to make out with this girl. And then I turned to spit the gum out and I turned back and she puked all over herself. That was a miracle. <laughs> Otherwise she would have puked all over me. Like yeah. that is such a humorous response to this very personal and introspective moment. Yeah. And then to, you're not expecting his character to have this very like funny response to that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it never allows the movie to be overtly kind of just dour and yeah. those moments that are super serious i think they're so well paced out throughout with whether it's a scare or it's humor that it really never outstays its welcome and it does aid the longevity of it you can never say this goes on for too long this is overbearing for the most part all those different genres i think it is really phenomenal at kind of just spreading out throughout the movie yeah no i think definitely like even following that scene like when i think um they all of them fall asleep in the couch and then uh, Mel Gibson's character Graham wakes up and he's by himself and then he goes into the closet and they're all wearing tin heads and they're watching <laughs> yeah. the TV in yeah. the closet. It's like, mm-hmm. what? Like, it's just little moments like that that are like such a great little balance because they just finished having the night before the serious conversation and now it's like back to the comedy part of the movie where it's like all the, the uncle and the two kids are just literally sitting in the closet with their tin he- helmets watching mm-hmm. TV, looking at aliens that are going on in like alien situations that are going on in Mexico. And it's like, it's just like little funny moments like that, that I really, it got me like, I caught myself giggling a couple of times, you know, it's just yeah. great balance to throw in there. And I mean, what, for me, what makes that moment so funny too, is not only just they're wearing tinfoil hats, but 
is they're kind of like silly body movements where they all turn in unison to face him. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like when you turn on the light and you catch like your dog or your cat eating something you're not supposed to. They kind of yeah. turn their head suddenly and look at you and don't respond. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, it's kind of like this M. Night Shyamalan sense of humor and his sensibilities in terms of it's not like in a laugh out loud, you're going to double over moment, but mm. it is something that serves a purpose. So yeah, you're going to laugh at it, but then it might bleed into something else. So I'm almost like laughing, but then I'm sort of anxious because I know something is going to come that's going to kind of sneak up on me because I'm not expecting it after that laugh. Right. Um, and something that I really appreciated on a rewatch was kind of the small scale portrayal of an alien invasion. You know, we usually get these kind of larger than life Michael Bay-esque portrayals of an invasion where buildings are getting destroyed and you're seeing entire towns being vaporized. What did you think of the small scale of the story and kind of just the portrayal of an invasion? I I think I liked it. I liked the fact that it was like, I think it was one or two, but we only get to see one alien. And I kind of liked that. I feel it was, was, I don't know, I think, I don't know, it just me being dumb about it but i think it's more realistic maybe in a sense it's like no, I, don't know. I totally agree with that. to me i think it feels more realistic unlike the fact they just send all these aliens into earth and then just kind of start wiping things out like i feel like i don't know to me i, I like the fact that it's just an individual alien who is clearly way advanced than any human being in this earth and it's like them alone one per one alien alone could probably wipe out a family to say you know so i, I really like the fact that it was just an individual alien Yeah, and I think that that is what allows the movie, like I describe it as being heavily horror influenced. And I think that that's accurate because of how they portray it. Like apparently there's less than, I think it's, there's less than 90 seconds of an alien on screen in this movie. And a majority of the movie is one or two aliens and you just hear them. Mm -hmm. You hear them running, you hear them clicking in the cornfield. And again, to I'll bring it up now, that cornfield scene when Mel Gibson is wandering through and he's trying to find whatever's in there and there's just one of them and he just sees a leg and then he hears it behind him. That scene is not possible if there's 15 or 20 aliens running around in the field. It becomes comical almost, whereas M. Night Shyamalan very much makes a horror scene and it's reminiscent of like, for lack of a better word, you could say something like a slasher where you're being chased by something in the dark. Yeah, his ability to kind of recreate the the uh, ominous nature of a scene like that in a sci-fi movie, I think, is what makes the movie that much creepier and memorable. Yeah, no, it definitely it definitely adds more to it. It's like there's only I don't know the fact like you were just saying like there's only one alien and and if there was two or three, they could have just killed him right there. But I think the fact that it's one alien that comes down, and it seems like he's kind of like trying to figure out what how the humans react, and it kind of goes back to the scene where. Um, Merle, who's played by Joaquin Phoenix, goes into the sergeant's office and he's talking to them and he's like saying, like, "Oh, this this is a tactical like uh, a move move that they're doing or something." They're because, probing. Yeah, they're like sending scouts to see how we we react, and then they'll come down with a whole group of them. And it kind of that that scene, I it kind of like hit me. I was like, "Oh, that would make sense why there would only be one." Like they're sending one to see how we would react as humans, and then they would send more if they need to. If not, they'll retrieve and, and train, I guess, and come back later. But yeah, I really I, I really like the fact that he decided to do just one alien instead of multiple. It adds more to the intensity and it's like, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of creepier and the fact that we don't get to see him as much, it makes it more intense when we when you do get to see it and like just a little glimpse of it. 
um, it gives it more of a harder feel into it. There isn't a lot of the alien in the movie, but I like the way that it looks. Mm-hmm. Like it is obviously CGI and yeah. easy to kind of be like early 2000s CGI sucks. But I think for the most part, what you see and how you don't see a lot of it mm-hmm. and you see most of the alien through like reflections in the TV yeah. or you just see like its hand come out from under a door or when it comes out of the coal chute and grabs yeah. the little boy. It's very sparingly used and what you see I think is pretty strong yeah. or or it's above average for CGI. They wanted to do an invisible alien mm. and you could like see its eyes glowing and it was transparent, but you could still see like shapes moving kind of. Yeah. yeah. And it looks whack as fuck. Oh God. Thank God I'm they so, didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy that they went with what they did do. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons that speaks to the point that you've made was that M. Night Shyamalan didn't like the invisible tint to the alien because it didn't look realistic. Right. And to your point, like this is a, and I think it's a strong point in that this is a realistic depiction of an unrealistic scenario. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, this is probably something that would happen and you can actually assume that it would happen because for the most part, it preys on all the different things that make horror movies strong in that mm-hmm. it's a sense of atmosphere, the sense that you're being stalked, yeah. the sense that you're seeing a little glimpse of the danger, but then it retracts itself right before you look at it for too long or something like right. that. And I think for that reason, it makes the whole movie that much more believable. Yeah, I think it also helps the fact that it's an individual alien because it's harder to spot. Like if you have a group of them, it's much easier to find a group of aliens than just an individual alien where it can just hide in one spot. And also like we we learned that the, the alien can camouflage. So it's kind of even harder. Like the fact that it could be in the room with, that, with you in there and you don't see it gives it more of a scarier horror feel to it. Like you got to watch out in every room you walk in kind of kind of uh sense and um yeah I, I just i just like the fact that they went individual because i feel like it would have just felt like any other alien movie had they been multiple of them to speak again to like the pacing of the movie and how it ties into the small town vibe i love that we go from the cornfield which is the first kind of like reveal but it's something that you can explain away almost or the characters can explain away and that they assume oh it's so and so brothers that cause mischief in this part of town or whatever but then it starts again where we get another kind of mini reveal that there's a bigger problem happening that is about like all the town dogs are acting strange. Mm, Yeah. It's something that's very subtle that doesn't raise a ton of red flags, but it's suspicious. And it kind of speaks to this idea that this is a small town and the word of strange happenings is going to be like passed on by mouth. Mm -hmm. It's word of mouth basically. And that kind of speaks to the idea that an invasion could sneak up on a small town. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're in the city, you live much closer to people, you're in constant communication with them. And in the fact that everybody's more spread out, I think it just is a much more believable idea for an invasion. Right. That make a lot of sense. I feel like, yeah, the fact that it's such an open area because they're a small town, they have so much land, it's, it would make sense to start one by one. So that, I guess that that definitely adds to the horror of the part of the film, the fact that they are coming in into a small town and then they'll eventually spread throughout the whole city if they were to attack. Yeah. I mean, we have that moment where the beginning of the talk about aliens and things like that, the uh, Mel Gibson's character, Graham decides like, Hey, we're turning off the TV, we're turning off the radio. Mm. And those are off for probably 15 minutes of the film. So they're not tied into the rest of the world. They don't know what's happening. The only reason they learn about the invasion is because he decides, Hey, let's turn on the TV. Right. So had he not made that decision, 
who knows the next time they go look outside oh there could be a, a spaceship out there could have snuck up on them yeah and that's something that i think is actually more terrifying this idea that you and i for example are very connected we live in a not in a rural yeah. area we're on technology and everything like that if something were happening i'm gonna call you you're gonna text me kind of thing right whereas not only just this time period where it's early 2000s but your neighbor might live 20 miles down the road or something like mm -hmm. that so you might not get a call from him or he might not even think to call you because just because you live near each other right you're not necessarily like friends keeping up with one another right so the idea that you could be so isolated from the world mm. and you're like 100% reliant on TV and radio for information yeah. is just like, I don't know. It makes the whole thing that much more tense for right. me. Right. Yeah, that's another layer of horror. Definitely helps. It definitely helps to, especially the time and the fact that in 2001, we didn't have as good a technology as we had now. Even the internet's like, it, it adds another layer of horror to that sense of like, you're there in a farm in the middle of nowhere where it's like, the next neighbor is probably 20 miles of either direction. You have to drive another 30, 45 minutes just to get into town. So it's like, if something goes wrong, people are not going to find out for at least a couple of hours before it even spreads. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's that horror that's like, shit, like if something happens to me, no one's going to find out until it happens to the next person and the next person. And so it's, it's that definitely that other level of horror. The fact that they're a small town spread out and they're so far from each other with very minimal communication. Yeah, M. Night Shyamalan said that the uh, the three biggest influences for this movie that he had all the other cast members watch were uh, M uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, mm. he had um, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, and he had Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And those three movies, I don't know if you're, are you super familiar with no. those movies or no? So The Birds is about like an invasion of birds that prey on a town basically. And there's oh. just swarms of them and they attack people and kill people. And they don't know why. So right there, that is kind of like a global, this idea of a global yeah. catastrophe. And so that's the aliens in this. And then you have Night of the Living Dead, which is a zombie movie where they get trapped in their house. Right. Clearly, the end of the film is all about that. Yeah. And then Invasion of the Body Snatchers is this kind of paranoia and this idea that it's all about fear, basically. Mm. And how there's these pods that create clones of people. And while there's no clones in this, the kind of the like bumpkin paranoia yeah. that everybody in this small town has, especially when the little kids go to the bookshop and there's that crazy old man <laughs> yeah. that's watching the TV and he's like, I know this is all being orchestrated by the soda company or some shit like yeah. that. And he's like, it's just this idea of people in the out in the sticks being very paranoid about not only the government, but like, I think he calls them city folks. Yeah. People from the city, that kind of thing. And I just, again, like, I love the small town vibe that is a town that's filled with all these weird characters. Yeah. Everybody's a character. There's a reason why these people don't live in the city. It's mm -hmm. just like, they are who they are and they're free to be that out in this rural area. Yeah. Now, I mean, now that you mentioned like that, like it really, like the whole movie has a really good small town vibe in the sense of like when they do go into town and they, they see the guy that killed their mother and it's like, mm -hmm. And Morgan asks, is that, is that him? Cause they're all staring at him, like eating the pizza. And Bo's like, I don't know what, I don't remember what Bo, I think she, she said, it's like, um, I think that's him. And she's like so small. She doesn't even know, but she knows that something's like they, cause uh, Graham and uh, Merle are staring at him. He's like, yeah, that's him. Uh, Merle says, and it's like, 
everybody it's such a small town that when something happens something big like someone dies like everybody knows exactly who it who is who and like i i really like the fact that they really um m night really adds that field of a small town that everybody knows whoever whoever everybody is in the town i think i would compare it almost to like a stephen king-esque story where king Mm -hmm. spends a lot of time kind of developing the vibe and the closeness and the sense of community in these very small towns um but let's get into the cast since you mentioned it. I mean, the cast of this movie is stacked. We've got yeah. Mel Gibson before he kind of went crazy. We've got uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Rory Culkin, and Abigail Breslin. Um, mm-hmm. And while and this is a relatively young cast, obviously, given that this yeah. is from 2002, I believe. But I mean, what did you think of the cast overall? I thought I thought it was amazing. I thought it was a great group of people, even Bo and uh the actress that plays Bo, she's so young and she did such an amazing like think i think her role is so important in the in her funny sense of humor like mm-hmm. she just has such a funny sense of humor that it adds to the movie so much even in the series moments and morgan has like this almost like scientific curiosity feel to him like he wants to know what are these humans uh, what are these aliens and it's like he buys a book in the library and then merle has like this kind of like uh like high school like i don't know i I guess he was like uh, the best high school batter in in the whole state or something he has like this home hometown hero kind of thing to him yeah and then obviously um graham played by um mel gibson has like he was a priest in the town so everybody knows him as as a a father so um i just i just really like that's a great combination of cast and, and characters that really helps this movie again like pace it and like really set the tone for it for what their their bonding time i guess that's one of my favorite running gags in the whole movie is mm-hmm. that even though he hasn't been a priest for or yeah a pastor or a priest for six months after his wife died because he loses his faith everybody still calls him father yeah and he spends the whole movie correcting people please stop calling me father right over and over and like everybody is just so steadfast in refusing to stop calling him that but yeah i mean i'll start with mel gibson i was I did not remember his performance being as strong as it was Mm -hmm. in that his character has just like the movie itself. There's many levels to it on one level. He's this man that's grappling with a loss of faith and how he feels like all hope is lost. And especially it doesn't help when you're having a a moment of crisis in your faith and then an alien invasion starts. Right. It's like the time when you need faith and hope the most, he's at a loss for it. And so, that puts him at odds with other people. And he's obviously hasn't really grappled with the death of his wife still. But I mean, other than that, just hit, hit the monologues that he gives, like when he's talking to Merrill on the couch, when the kids fall asleep, that's a surprisingly powerful conversation mm-hmm. that again, it, it ends with the moments of humor that I thought was good, but yeah. just his delivery alone, I thought was good. And right. then his ability to kind of like have these cheesy moments mm-hmm. where, especially like when he's talking to the pantry, yeah, and an alien hand comes out from under and he's like pretending to be a cop that's going to yeah. arrest somebody. You're like, what the hell is this about? But he kind of just effortlessly transitions between serious moments to more like comedic moments. Yeah. And he plays everything so straight that it's like even those comedic moments, I feel like they're funnier because he's approaching them so straight laced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think uh, Mel Gibson does such a great job at really selling the fact that Graham is losing his faith like he's slowly like his wife died that's a that's like kind of a 
hit on his faith. And then the fact that there's aliens now taking over or like coming down to earth, it's like, that's a, that's a huge hit for him being a, a priest. And it's like, really like, he really gets tested throughout this whole movie of like keeping faith and, and staying in the path, I guess, um, mm-hmm. which I think Mel Gibson does an amazing job at it. I think I would say, I don't know. I, I don't remember watching lethal weapon, but I would say this is one of his better performance, at least for me that I've seen from him. Yeah. I mean, that's funny. That's one of my own as well. One of my only few references for Mel Gibson. I haven't seen a lot of his like bigger movies, yeah. but uh, yeah, like lethal weapon, that's an example of him being, I would say 85% of the movie is the comedic side to his performance in this. Whereas this is a good balance of comedic and dramatic. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Sometimes like when you get roles that try to be more than one thing or they try to be a hybrid of different genres, it can be a little disingenuous, especially when there's like humor being involved. But Mm -hmm. his humor is so specific to his character's construct. And there's no better example of that than when Meryl tells him he should swear when they're trying to literally suppose the brothers out. And he's like, the first two things he shouts aren't even swears. And then he finally says a swear at the end. And the way he says it, it's almost like a kid swearing, like he's never said it before. Right. And he just sells it so well that the humor feels very authentic to who our idea of him as a former priest is. Right. I really liked Joaquin Phoenix's character too. Mm -hmm. I forgot how juvenile he is in a lot of ways yeah in terms of like he's kind of the stereotypical the kid from the country that wants to escape like he goes to the recruiter's office um and he's like reading through the brochures and stuff on the wall um just because he has this idea that he wants to escape from city life right and how he can't escape his past and whatnot like the guy in the recruiter's office is brings up the fact that yeah he hit the most home runs he hit them the farthest but he swung at everything right And it's kind of like he's ashamed of that. And then in a larger sense, he's kind of ashamed of like the trajectory his life's taken in that he just lives at home and doesn't do anything really. Right. Yeah. I I think his, his character overall, I thought it was, it was a great character. It's a good addition to that, to that group of cast. Um, Cause he kind of like has this, like Mel Gibson plays the adult. Like they, they say that Graham and uh, Merle are brothers because the kids call him uncle uncle Merle. So it's like, he kind of plays this role of the teenager almost. Cause he's like between mm-hmm. the kids and, and um, Graham. So it's like, he's almost like a teenager, but at the same time he's an adult. So he hasn't really fully developed or matured at least it seems like, yeah. but I think his, his addition to it and his, and Joaquin Phoenix performance is great. I thought it was, it was really great. It really adds a lot of value to the, to the scenes that, especially in the end when he's like, you know, they're, they come in contact with the alien. He's like swing away or Mel Gibson's character says swing away. And he, he kind of knows that he's like, Oh, the bat's right there. And I think that scene really kind of like, it's like his characters developed to a maturity. I think near the end of that, it's like kind of, he's more mature um, from the beginning of the movie. But yeah, I think it, his performance overall was amazing. Yeah. And I think that it really is this idea that his character complements Mel Gibson's character so well, because mm-hmm. I mean, for lack of better phrasing, like Mel Gibson's character starts at the peak of his faith. And Mm -hmm. then obviously he's on the down, he's spiraling essentially in that he is at a lack of faith and that's affecting his life and his ability to handle situations. Whereas his younger brother has never grown into being an adult. Right. And the film serves as him basically growing up, which Mm -hmm. leads to him being the savior of everybody and killing the alien. Yeah. Um, And I think that that balance of, the kind of like opposites in the yin and yang of those two characters 
really complements it well because without the younger brother, I don't know that the dynamic of the family works nearly as well. But um, yeah, he uh, Joaquin Phoenix wasn't even supposed to be in the movie originally. Really, Mark? Yeah, Mark Ruffalo was originally supposed to play that oh. role, wow. but he found out before they started filming that he had a brain tumor. Oh. Jesus. And so he had to, it ended up being benign, but he had to obviously get that taken care of, right? Uh, which is something I never knew. It was very random. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. It's a drastic, uh, a drastic life development. But yeah, uh, like you were saying also, like the kids, I think are really great. Obviously you've mm-hmm. got Morgan and Bo. And I really, again, this is an element that the film is, it deviates from just one specific genre. And that's kind of like their relationship together. It feels yeah. authentic. It feels yeah. like he's the older brother who has to take care of his little sister and she's weird and her weirdness kind of annoys him, but it's mm-hmm. still her older brother. He does. He never freaks out about it or something like that. He kind of just accepts it when, especially yeah. with the water when she's like, the yeah. water's contaminated for like the 15th <laughs> time. And he's like, there's no, and he explains it so calmly. There's nothing yeah. wrong with the water. Like, right. I, I just love their relationship. It's, it's yeah, it's very cute. Yeah, I like the fact that, like, their relationship is so, like, you can tell they, it's, it feels like they're brothers and sisters. Like, even, like, when Bo kind of seems like she, Bo looks up to Morgan, like, she, like, follows him around the house. I mean, obviously, it's just the two of them, but, like, they play together and they follow around the house and, like, they seem to do everything together. And it just, it really feels like an authentic relationship. I don't know if that's, maybe they spend, like, the, the actors spend time together or something, but I, I really they really sold that relationship between Bo and, and Morgan um, feeling like, like they were actually family members. Yeah. I wish that was something that they'd talked about in the making of doc, because I was curious about that in that, yeah. how do you make two people that don't know each other emulate a relationship that seems that authentic? And mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Rory Culkin is from the Culkins, fa- the Culkin yeah. family um, who obviously Macaulay Culkin's the boy in home alone. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, him coming from such an extensive family, because I'm pretty sure he's one of eight siblings. Yeah. He's probably a pretty good expert at uh, through life of being an older brother to somebody. Yeah. To some extent. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but that is a good point. Like their relationship came through as very believable and authentic, mm-hmm. almost to the degree that um, Graham and Merle aren't. Right. You know what I mean? Like they... I don't know if I necessarily can see the two of them as being brothers. I could Mm -hmm. see them being related, but I don't know if they ever showed a closeness as being younger brother and older brother. But in terms of like Morgan and Bo, like they definitely pick up the slack and just how authentic they are. Right. At least for me, for me, Graham and Merle felt more of a a father son relationship of anything. Yeah. I guess it speaks, it also speaks to the maturity of uh, Merle's too. So that's like, that's the that's the thing, but I don't know. I, it was very hard to wrap my head around the fact that Graham was the brother of Merle's because there's also almost a age difference there. Like at least Mel Gibson looks a lot older than Merle's, and it's like, well, how old was the mother when he she had Merle's? Because it's like he looks so young; he looks almost like a teenager in the movie. So, but yeah, that's definitely the fact that Morgan and Bo. Um, had such a great relationship. I, I really like that. That definitely helps to complement the family in general. Do you want to get into some favorite scenes? Yeah. That's yeah. It. So I'll start. One of my favorite scenes is definitely the cornfield chase. Mm. When Mel Gibson goes into the cornfield t- to find out what was making noise out there. Yeah. And I love that it 
it never shows you too much, right? And mm-hmm. it never starts with him seeing something. It ends with him seeing something. And it's all about the sound effects, this kind of like clicking sound that's almost predator-like Yeah. from the creature while he's yeah. investigating the cornfield. And then he has that great moment where he drops the flashlight and then he picks it up and it's shining in the direction of the leg yeah. of one of the aliens that kind of just slips back into the cornfield. Mm-hmm. And then it has him getting chased through the cornfield, obviously. And again, like I said it earlier, that scene is so indicative of like any of my favorite horror movies. In yeah. That it really it gives you a first person perspective almost of him running through the stalks of corn. Yeah. And then you even get that moment where the camera's running straight through the cornfield and then he deviates to like the right or something. Yeah. But the camera keeps moving forwards. Like right. it, like you, the viewer, are losing track of him. Right. I just love that scene a lot. Yeah, that's that's a that's a definitely a good scene. It, it kind of, it really, the fact that they did that with the camera, I think it helps you to add more intensity to the moment. Like he's being chased and it's like, he's just trying to take this direction where there's no certain pattern so the alien won't pick him up. You know, where, where is he going to run? But uh, for me, I think my favorite scene was when they first locked themselves in the house and then you hear the aliens are coming and they're like walking outside in the porch. And then mm-hmm. obviously you hear the dog barking and then it's kind of like, it seems like the dog, they kill the dog. It's, you hear it crying because it's getting um, killed. And I thought that was like, that was probably one of my favorite scenes because it really adds to the intensity of being, the sense of being hunted. Like mm-hmm. you're like inside the house, you trapped yourself in there, you locked all the windows and doors, but they also forgot about the attic. And it's like, right. you can hear them jumping through the roof and like walking on the porch. And like, then you start hearing the doorknob starts moving. And then like my favorite part was when they're dragging the kids to the basement and um, Morgan is looking at the door and you see the hand come out of under it. Yeah. I thought that was such a great scene. It really adds to the, the horror part of the movie. And it really kind of like Morgan's like, holy shit, they're real. Like that's the first time they've ever encountered, at least the kids have. Um, and I, I think I really, I really like that scene. That was, that was definitely for me a favorite one. Yeah. And I mean, that scene is so reminiscent of one of his main influences in the movie was mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead, where the first half of the movie is the protagonist, Ben, spends the movie boarding up all the windows and walls to stop the zombies from getting in. And that kind of like home invasion aspect of the movie is really unique, I think, for a sci-fi movie where usually the aliens come down and then you're either running through the fields trying to get away from them or you're shooting at them or something. But mm-hmm. it is this idea of a relatable situation where if there was some kind of danger outside, you would board up the windows, you'd board up the doors and try to barricade yourself away from that danger. And right. Like to your example with the hand under the door, it's just a hand coming out from under the door. But again, we've seen so little of the monster throughout the entire mm-hmm. movie that it's that creepier. It's that much scarier. And I mean, that's also what makes that pantry scene so scary. That's true. Yeah. When he hears something and that you just see the hand and the claw come out suddenly, but you're, there's only like two seconds of the claw and then it's gone again. Mm-hmm. And that kind of just restraint and sh- not showing too much, I think is really fantastic. So another scene that I think is really, really iconic from this movie, and this movie has a couple, is the home video of the alien for the first time. Oh, that yes. See, yeah. Where they show the news footage and... That scene, I think, is really great because it further instills this idea that we are seeing what's happening in this small town that's isolated. But even in that isolation, we're given a portal, essentially, into what the rest of the world is seeing. And that's the TV. And no scene is more pivotal in capturing that worldwide terror than that home video scene where Mm -hmm. the little kids, I think they're in Brazil, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Are 
at a birthday party and they're like running through the house and screaming. And then they go, he's like, he's behind the garage, behind the garage. And then you see the blur of yeah. the alien move. And it's almost more terrifying to see Joaquin Phoenix's reaction to it. Yeah. How shocked he is than what you actually see, because I mean, it's just a gray blur of a shadow, but mm. it's more about his reaction and how this just became real for everybody or for him at least. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, you like throughout the movie, you get the sense of like, Oh, it's just aliens. And I don't think Merle's at that point has seen it. Um, the alien and like physically seen a whole like alien. Uh, Cause he's seen, I think the shadows from the light and stuff when they were chasing around the house, but they haven't physically seen it. So you really get to see like, Oh shit. Like, like you said, this is real. Like they're here. And like, and that that re- he really sells that scene with with the fact that he was freaked out like holy shit they're on earth and they're walking around among us um and it's not just happening to us it's all over the world um i think that that was definitely one of those one of my favorite scenes um and and the fact that it's happening not just in the united states it's literally in southern hemisphere it's like it's just like such a good scene at least for me and like and the fact that he's so in shock that like you said that i think that's what really sells that yeah it's such a um i would say it's a very budget conscious way of instilling fear in a way that i mean again it's a portal into what the rest of the world is seeing and it's this idea that if it's happening here and it's happening there it's probably happening everywhere Mm -hmm. and it's almost again it makes more sense why they feel they need to barricade themselves into their house in that Nowhere is safe, essentially. Right. If we leave the house and go run off somewhere, it doesn't matter where we go because they're everywhere, apparently. Right. Um, and that scene, it was cool. I learned that scene was filmed in one shot. It was one continuous take. Oh, right. Um, which I thought was pretty cool in that the lack of cuts kind of just makes it that much more in your face and abrupt. Yeah. Almost like there's not a lot of quick editing or quick cuts. Obviously, you've got the CGI monster at the end yeah. of it. But by that point, the scene is over. Um, and I just, I mean, you also get that kind of funny moment again, talk about use of humor is, uh, Joaquin Phoenix being like, Vamanos children, yeah. Vamanos. like yeah. it's such a kind of like a gringo sense of humor, but yeah. M night Shyamalan is very aware of what he's doing with that. Right. And again, I mean, it's a moment where you're capturing somebody that's out in the sticks mm. and it's like, yeah, I would assume the only word that somebody out in <laughs> yeah. the rural Pennsylvania knows in Spanish is Vamanos. Like, yeah. why wouldn't they? But uh, just like little moments like that, I think it adds a lot of self-aware personality to both the characters and kind of just the sensibilities of the humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a great balance to have. Even like just back to what we were talking about earlier, it's like, yeah, again, that balance of humor and, and darkness that I think it goes so well in this movie. Yeah, and just one last scene that I think really is indicative of M. Night Shyamalan's style and what... It's, it's an example of different techniques that you can use to replicate tension and terror without necessarily showing the monster. And that's when they're in the basement oh, and they're yeah. looking for that coal chute. Mm-hmm. And of course, for whatever reason, it's like a kind of a silly moment where they find the coal chute and the little boy is standing right in front of it. Yeah. For whatever reason, like, why would you be standing there? But yeah. Um, and then it shows like the camouflage because the alien's hand is sticking through the grate and grabs him. Mm-hmm. But then we lose perspective of what's happening and yeah. we see like we're go to ground level basically. And we see where the flashlight lands mm-hmm. and then it captures where Bo is standing, which is kind of shocking. It's a little yeah. scary. It just yeah. like jumps out. Oh shit. There's another kid standing there in the dark, but it doesn't focus on the visual of the violence that's happening or the scuffle. 
Yeah. But it is focusing on the sound of it. Yeah. And I think, again, it's probably like the, it's another example of what you hear and what you inter- your mind interprets as associated with that sound is ultimately going to be scarier than whatever you see. Yeah. I think, yeah, that, that's, that's a great scene. Cause also for me, it's like, you forget about Bo. You forget the fact that Bo right. is in the room. Like you're focusing on um, Graham trying to lock them in there and make sure they don't open the door. But at the same time, you realize how Joaquin Phoenix is in there. But then Bo kind of, she kind of just fades into the dark. She's just part of the room at that point. And then you see them just basically trying to find, like, they're like running down the walls and like, oh, I can feel a breeze. It's almost, it's like we're close to it. And then it's like, they both point the, the light at the um, the hole and it's like literally the kid just standing there and then the hand just moves out of nowhere. Um, and I really, I, yeah, that's a, that's also a great scene to, um, it's a great scene in the movie because it's like, yeah, you, like you said, they drop the, it's all based on your head. It's like what your visual of the situation that's going on. Cause you're listening to everything that's going on. And then all of a sudden Bo picks up and we get to see what's actually happening. And it's like, Merle's is literally putting bags of potatoes against the, the hole and trying to block. It. And then he puts the can on top, just, you <laughs> yeah. know, just for like measurement. Yeah. Can. It's just like, make sure that he doesn't get in. And then it's like, they focus on um, Graham and Morgan. They're both sitting down because Graham's having, a, or uh, Morgan's having a panic attack or um, asthma attack and it's like such a great scene because it's basically at the end of the day it's all in your head because all you do is listening to what's going on and Mm -hmm. i think that's what really adds the horror to it the fact that you're you're set you're basically making the scene in your head based on the sounds that they're giving you it speaks to m night Shyamalan's talents because that's something that a lot of people can do Mm -hmm. but at the same time they can't execute it with the same level of nuance that he does and again that's a perfect example of having a tense, scary moment, and then having that brief moment of humor to kind of bring you back to base level almost. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I said that was the last one, but there's one final shot that I really, really love in that when they're facing off the alien and we have that swing swing away scene where Merle takes the bat and starts beating the fuck out of the alien. uh, And he smashes, I love that scene where he smashes all the water, glasses of water and sprays it. Um, But more importantly, instead of having... I don't know, a 10 minute scene with the CGI alien on screen, Mm -hmm. which if we had to look at it for more than the amount of time we do, we would probably be like, okay, I'm starting to see kind of like the cracks in it and whatnot. Um, But I love the reflection in the TV. Mm -hmm. That's probably my favorite shot of the movie in that it zooms in on the alien. And again, you can see the face of it and you can hear it, but it's a reflection off of a dark TV screen. So it's dark and you can barely Mm -hmm. see any of the detail in its face, but it again, it kind of plays in this idea based on the, the outline of it and what you hear it doing. Yeah. You're creating something that ultimately is scarier than what we see on screen in the next scene. Right. Yeah. And I think I think that those scenes really help the movie, especially with the CGI. The fact that they don't zoom in on his face, like you're basically watching it through a reflection. It's okay to have not the perfect CGI because you're watching it through a reflection of something, but. It, it really helps that the fact that the CGI's during the time wasn't great, but the minimal like CGI that they used was just a good quality. Like it was just very well done um, as I'm sure as best as they could do it. But it, like you said, that the reflection scene, I really, I also like that scene a lot. And yeah. just like the connection, like you really see that Graham kind of <clears throat> has a flashback to his mother or his, his uh, wife when she's mm-hmm. dying. And they, it's basically their last conversation before she died. And it's kind of like everything's coming together for him in his head. 
in that certain, he talks to Merle about swinging away. But you want to hear some some research that I found out about the Absolutely, movie? Absolutely, we'll yeah. Out of here. So one of the things that I was shocked to learn was that this movie was shot on location. So mm-hmm. they found a 40-acre location in Pennsylvania, and then they grew 40 acres of corn, and they built that house Jesus. and the barn from scratch. Like, I couldn't wow. believe that. Yeah. I assumed that it was all shot on a stage. Also, how long would it take to grow that corn? <laughs> right, exactly. Jesus. I think it took... I forget what they said. It might have been three or four months. Wow. But I mean, yeah, I guess they had a lot of pre-production stuff. Right, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I was I couldn't believe that when I heard that. Damn, it was pretty remarkable. That's pretty awesome, yeah. Uh, the scene that they filmed where Graham's wife is dying mm. is the first scene that they filmed. Oh, wow. And they wanted it to kind of, because M. Night Shyamalan said he'd never worked with Mel Gibson before and he wanted to get kind of the heavy lifting scene out of the way first. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was an extremely poignant scene as well because I believe it was filmed the day after 9-11. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, they had, apparently they had like a candlelight vigil on the set before they started filming. But So it was already kind of this very morose, dour, uncertain vibe yeah. just in everybody's real life. And so yeah. to begin with that scene, that is, it's a different event, but you're matching the same types of emotions. Mm. I feel like you're capitalizing on those emotions and then you're able to ease into the rest of the film, which is a little more lighthearted and uh, comical. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Plus that was the goal that he had in making this movie more humorous in that, like if you remember Unbreakable, mm. Unbreakable doesn't have a lot of laughs in it. No, not it's a pretty all. dark, it's yeah. a pretty dark film. So uh, to make a film after that, that has some dark moments, but it's majority of the time is a blending of mm-hmm. humor and drama, I think yeah. is really telling of the overall movie. Uh, the scene that M. Night Shyamalan has that monologue where mm. he's talking about how he's wronged uh, Graham and his family and he can't imagine all those things. Yeah. The night before his grandfather had died. Oh, wow. So he was, yeah, there's some death surrounding this movie. Jesus. Um, his grandfather had died, so he was in a kind of depressing frame of mind for that. And also, he didn't tell Mel Gibson that Mel Gibson, that, M. Night Shyamalan was going to be in the scene. Oh, wow. So his name wasn't on the scripts and Mel Gibson's names weren't on the scripts because he didn't want other people to kind of find out who was in the movie, Mm. including himself, which I thought was interesting because you can kind of see it a little bit in Mel Gibson's face in that scene where he's acting very shocked and surprised. Yeah. And so that kind of just feeds into that and really helps sell the scene. It does, yeah. Wow. That's an intense scene. Yeah, that's a really intense scene. And... It's an example of like some people don't particularly care for directors that insert themselves in their own mm-hmm. movies, but I think that's a, a pretty strong scene. Yeah, and I think yeah, I mean, it doesn't pull any punches in that. No, it definitely. I think it definitely. I I kind of enjoy having those little gems of someone who's producing director like kind of add themselves in the movie as part of the movie. I think it's great, especially with his character. Like he's he's the one that killed the mother of these two kids and mm-hmm. hurt basically destroy this guy's faith based on that. I think that's a, such an intense character to have and be a part of that producing and directing and all that. I think it's great. Yeah. And his character doesn't have a massive arc. So Mm. it makes sense why you could put M night Shyamalan into that character. Like his character is not very complex and he's supposed to just be some guy from the neighborhood. Yeah. Essentially. So to put yourself in a role like that, that doesn't have a ton of, 
responsibility in steering the narrative. Mm. I think that's like the perfect type of role a director could have. Right. Um, but the last kind of like major thing that I learned in the marketing for the movie, which I was surprised to learn, was that M. Night Shyamalan, uh, they did one teaser trailer that said from the maker of The Sixth Sense, but M. Night Shyamalan told them moving on to not include that because oh. that kind of like set the expectation that this movie would be like The Sixth Sense, right. which it's not at all. Yeah, it's far from it. If any, yeah, it's yeah. far from it. And he also did not want Mel Gibson's face to be on the posters because likewise, it, this movie was unlike anything else Mel Gibson had ever done. So right, yeah. you would kind of set the expectation that it's Mel Gibson, it's going to be an action movie when obviously, again, this is anything but an action movie. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. He did that, yeah. I just thought it was interesting that for a director that people kind of enjoy bashing because yeah. of his failures, for him to handicap his like fourth or fifth movie like that after the major success that was The Sixth Sense mm. and to have one of the biggest stars of the late 90s and early 2000s, Mel Gibson involved in not promoting it with these things, I think it's a real testament to just how successful the movie was. And obviously the movie itself ended up being fantastic. Yeah, no, definitely. I was, uh, I was really happy that you picked signs to talk about because yeah. it gave me an opportunity to revisit a movie that I haven't seen in probably a decade plus. Mm-hmm. And if anything, it makes me want to kind of return and watch some of his um, other mo- like older movies, but yeah. also some of his more recent ones that I think go under the radar a lot. That's true. Yeah. But uh, I appreciate you coming on and talking yeah. about signs. Thanks for having me, man. No problem. And uh, if anybody is wondering, Signs is still streaming on HBO Max. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.